Hey, welcome everybody to the Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast where I get inside the brains of some of the best and brightest in the personal finance space to find out how they achieved early financial independence. On today's show, I'm excited to introduce Joe and Allie. Um, Joe is better known on the internet as Mr. Money Mustache Forum Moderator Extraordinaire, a Rebel Spy, uh, or a Rebel Spy as I first pronounced it probably for the first year that I saw it written down without spaces. Um, I had the chance to meet and hang out with both Joe and Allie at Camp Mustache the past two years and I found their story so interesting and inspiring that I knew I had to get them on the show at some point. So really excited that they're here today. Both Joe and Allie are ex-public school teachers who were able to go from a $0 net worth in 2010 to financial independence last year. And they did so by building up a portfolio of rental properties that now provide enough cash flow to cover their expenses. After retiring last year, they now travel the world full-time with their new baby girl, Annabelle, who was actually born in Istanbul, Turkey, of all places. And as you'll soon hear, uh, their their retirement has been extremely exciting with lots of interesting things happening. Uh, so without further delay, Joe and Allie, thanks a lot for being here. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Glad to be here. Yeah. So where exactly are you guys? So we're in Siem Reap, uh, Cambodia right now. Nice. So you are pretty much on the exact opposite end of the world from where I'm at. I'm sitting in Guanajuato, Mexico right now. Um, so if this Skype call holds together, that would be a miracle. But uh, you guys sound <laughs> great. So uh, so you guys have been on the road for how long? Uh, it's been a little over a year. We left. Um, we early retired in June of 2015. Uh, and then we left Las Vegas where we were living in August. And um, so we officially been- left the U.S. end of August 2015. Wow. And you've, so you've been on the road the whole time and you had a baby while you've been on the road. Is that right? Yeah. So, so where did <laughs> yeah. where did Annabelle uh, join the join the scene? <laughs> she was born in Istanbul, Turkey. So her uh, her passport says Turkey as her country of birth. That's amazing. So yeah, we obviously have a lot to talk about and I don't want to jump too far ahead. So um, we'll, we'll go back to the beginning and then we'll definitely get back into all of that stuff because it's uh, extremely interesting. So, uh, so yeah, just for people that may not know you in the community, um, can you just tell a little bit about yourselves? Yeah. Um, so I uh, go by the screen name, a rebel spy, which a lot of people mispronounced as Arabelspi or different <laughs> versions of that because it all runs together. Um, but I've, uh, I mostly on the MMM forums when it comes to the early retirement community, but also comment on different blogs and stuff like that. And, um, my wife is less active in those communities, but a, a huge partner in, in getting us to financial independence. Yeah. And I know you guys very well from two, Camp Mustaches uh, in the Pacific Northwest. We've uh, luckily hung out a lot, which has been great. And yeah, I uh, I always thought you were a rebel. I think I'm trying to think of what I thought you were because you commented on my blog way back in the day, which I thought was amazing. And you always had such good comments. And I was like, man, that a rebel spy guy is so good. And then I think it was like only probably a year after like chatting with you on my blog is that I realized I was a rebel spy. So um, I'm sure that's the case for a lot of people. We had been married for about two years before he said it out loud one day. And I was like, oh, I did not get that. That's amazing. Yeah. And and you, Joe, you you are a huge influence in the forums. You're a moderator <laughs> with how many thousands of actual comments? Oh, ten, the- tens of thousands. Yeah, I'm I'm a. Uh, 
I've always, for whatever reason, I, I really enjoy the interaction of internet forums. So even for, for the last decade or two, I've had thousands of posts across different forums for whatever kind of hobby I'm into at the moment. So at one time it was like, pocket PCs, those old like handheld, you know, like Palm Pilot type things. Yeah. And I had thousands of posts on those forums. And then um, at one point it, it was a motorcycle forum when Ali and I both had, had gotten motorcycles and all kinds of different various forums. But yeah, the, the MMM forums just, uh, I really enjoy talking about financial independence and talking about uh, finance in general. And, and the sort of people who tend to seek FI tend to be, I've found more sort of engaging, interesting people like yourself, Brandon. So uh, I, I, I enjoy that type of interaction. Nice. Well, thanks. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's amazing what you do and accomplish there because like, I, for some reason, I anytime I type something, I have to reread it like 5,000 times. So like one email will take me about like an hour to, to complete. And that's why writing posts takes me so long. So like to see the amount of intelligent stuff that you put out into the forum, uh, it just amazes me every time I see it. Um, but meeting you in person, uh, I sort of got a glimpse into how that all works. Um, just chatting with you about how many books you read and how many podcasts you listen to and things and uh, joking that like I was annoying you by talking at 1x speed because I know you listen to everything <laughs> at like 2x at least, uh, 2x speed. So I'm I'm sorry that these questions are going to be coming at you very slowly, but we'll work yeah, through it. It's so interesting to hear your voice at 1x because it, it, <laughs> I listen to all my podcasts double speed. So pro tip for your, for your listeners who just want to get that content even quicker. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. So anyway, so let's 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 get back to you guys and your story because it's 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 a really incredible one. So um, if I've done my research right, you you guys were pretty much at a zero dollar net worth back in 2010, and now you're completely financially independent and traveling the world. And you did it as public school teachers. Uh, so could you talk a little bit about the background uh, first? You know, just schooling and stuff, and then getting to that zero dollar net worth, um, and then we'll obviously dive into how you how you hit FI in record time and in impressive fashion. So, <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, we both, uh, we met at school, at college, and then we both got uh, jobs as teachers in Las Vegas. And luckily, Las Vegas has a really low uh, cost of living, but it also has a low teacher pay. So we, uh, so we were living in Vegas, and we just were – we didn't have any lifestyle inflation when we actually finally got jobs, which was really nice. So we were just living in a small apartment. We took as many extra jobs as we possibly could to start getting our wealth built up and pay off any school debts we had. So uh, like we did summer schools, Saturday schools, I taught extra classes and we did clubs and all sorts of extra things to try to bulk up that, uh, that our pay amounts. Yeah, and that's the, that's something that uh, Ed Mills from Millionaire Educator. I had him on the show too, and then that, that that was a that was a common theme that he talked about as well. Um, you know, picking up not just doing the bare minimum for teaching, but actually picking up all those sort of extracurriculars and you know uh, all the different things that teachers can actually volunteer for to do. And it seems like that makes a pretty big difference uh, in the bottom line. Is that right? Yeah, it's a huge chunk. I mean when you're just you're not getting paid that much and then you add on summer school and a couple of different clubs and you add an extra <laughs> the baby is very excited to hear all this <laughs> yeah, and when you have um 
what I was saying at this point. But yeah. So yeah, it so makes that- a big difference percentage wise because you know if you if you're making thirty five thousand and you teach summer school for thirty five hundred, it's like well, there's a ten percent boost in my salary. Right. Um, right. And if you're pocketing that and investing it, then yeah, that can definitely go a long way. So, so you guys graduated back in 2007, I think, and uh, yeah. you started, so Joe, you started out of the gate with like 32K and then Allie, you were doing sort of like uh, substitute teaching, I think, for 20K. Is that right? Right. For yeah. 20, and, then, and then all the other stuff on top of that is, so all the other stuff is in addition to those base salaries. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you guys and you guys started with like thirty K of student debt too, right? So it wasn't like you were just coming right out of the gate and just saving and investing right away. Yeah, I've never looked at the exact numbers. Um I I know I had a, a little over twenty thousand and Allie had around fifteen ten or fifteen thousand and student loan. So somewhere around thirty five thousand maybe. Um we we I never really paid attention because it was automated, the payment and the interest rate was so low um, that I knew we wanted to invest everything we could and just pay it off as as slow as possible. And so um, actually that that dwindled down and paid off. But um, it was even when we got to the point where there was like $100 left of of loans and we didn't want to pay it off quite yet because we're like, "Ah, just let it go one one more month and invest the money instead. (laughs) Yeah, I was exactly the same and it was like the longest... The thing that was had the longest history on my credit report too, so I was like, "This is making my credit score really high because I've been paying this off for years." And but yeah, when it got down to like five hundred bucks and my minimum payments were like one thirty one or something, I was like, "Man, I just want to pay this off and stop thinking about it." But, yeah, I, <laughs> but I, think, I kept yeah. it going until the until the very last payment. So um, no, I definitely feel that. So you guys were you always good financially? Was it you know like obviously I don't think you stumbled upon like this whole fire movement. Um, way back in 2010. Um, but were you, were you guys good with money and, you know, um, was it always something that interests you or? I think, uh, well, I know I had a job since a junior year of high school. I've always sort of had to be in charge of my own finances. So I've been pretty decent with my money and we started living together and paying our own finances when we were when I was like 19. So we've been, sort of uh, trying to keep our costs down since we were broke college students, you know, right. to live off. Yeah, I, I sort of was, I, I was good with the math of like compound interest, but was never super good at keeping my expenses low. And especially I had a roommate in college, we, we put together an eBay business that made like six figures and, um, and like blew all of it just because <laughs> that's, I, he was not a great influence in terms of spending. And so he, you know, he'd come in with a new shiny Rolex and giant <laughs> flat screen TV and everything. And I was like, Oh yeah, cool. Me too. And, um, <laughs> but luckily got over that pretty quick. And, um, and then, yeah, it was, uh, just sort of keeping, keeping uh, our expenses low at that college level. When we moved to Vegas, we got a, a little 400 square foot condo and, um, and lived there our whole uh, eight years in Vegas and um, just never really succumbed to lifestyle inflation. That's awesome. So we you had that same, we had that same uh, flat screen TV that he bought in college all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's cool. And, and you bought your condo in 
2007, right? Uh, which a Vegas condo in 2007 couldn't have been that great of an investment. Yeah, that, that did not turn out well. Yeah, so actually that probably segues, segues us pretty good into the next like sort of question probably most people have is like, all right, so you're teachers and you were making that much, so how did you actually retire? And um, the, the answer is mostly real estate. Um, the So we moved to Vegas and um, Vegas peaked a little ahead of the rest of the country um, in summer of 2006. And so then prices started falling all the rest of 2006 and all of 2007. So by into 2007, um, prices had fallen for a year and a half. And I was like, oh, wow, this is this is a great time to buy. And uh, <laughs> it, it was not. Um, but we bought yeah, we bought our we bought our condo and um, prices continued to fall. And we they fell for another year. And at the end of 2008, I was like, wow, they've been falling for uh, a year and a half or two and a half years now, um, this will be a great time to buy a rental. And so <laughs> in 2008, we, we bought a rental property and, and it seemed like a deal because the price of the property was 120,000. And at the peak, it had sold just two years before for 360,000. So wow. wow, like it sold for 360 and now it's 120. This is great. Um, but then prices kept falling and, um, kept falling in, in 2009 and 2010. Um, and that, that property actually bottomed out being worth around 80,000. Oh, wow. Um, so we were underwater on it, but yeah. we were, we were still making money every month. Um, because the rents was higher than the mortgage payment, um, by a decent amount. And, um, and then, so prices kept falling. And so we bought another couple properties in 2010 and another one in 2011 and another few in 2012. And so we kind of just, dollar cost averaged into properties <laughs> right. um, as, as the prices kept falling and we kept buying a few more and a few more and, and, and then prices bottomed out around tw early 2012 and we bought a few more then and prices rose a little and we bought a few more. And so we kind of, um, yeah, ended up with a number of, of rental properties and, and that we pretty much initially just funded by, by saving when we were both making, you know, around forty thousand, but only spending twenty thousand. So we're grossing eighty thousand plus all the extras that we mentioned: summer school and after-school tutoring and everything. And um, and living on under twenty thousand, we were just able to save. You know, when when prices are a hundred thousand or whatever, and and you know, we put down a twenty thousand down payment, we can save that up in four, five, six months, and then go on and and get the next one and the next one. And then they started to do the fun thing where compound interest catches up and and now rents are coming in and starts to snowball so you can purchase them even quicker wow yeah, that's, are felling real estate <laughs> that's amazing that's um so how many how many units are you up to now uh so right now we have 15 rental properties wow and those are they mostly concentrated in vegas or do you have them all over the country uh about a third of them are in vegas and the rest are kind of spread around after vegas um in 2013 um, the hedge funds came in, Blackstone and, and a whole bunch of other companies. That was right around the time Warren Buffett made a comment about if he could do it at scale, he would be just purchasing a bunch of single-family properties. Mm. So a bunch of hedge funds came and started uh, purchasing up rental properties, and, and prices rose quite a bit. Um, and so I started looking at other markets and, and investing in other areas. Right, and which, uh, which areas? Just curious. Um, we have stuff uh either properties or notes in uh michigan vermont ohio uh 
North Carolina, and one other one I'm can't think of off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Um, how, how different is it uh, purchasing properties in towns that you may not be as familiar with? Um, it's it's very different, but it's not. It's something completely doable if you set up the right systems. If if you know what you're doing. Um, I, I have a, a post on the MMM forums. Um, if you Google purchasing real estate you've never seen, mm-hmm. that's the title of the thread. And so um, if you just use that exact phrase, it'll be the top Google hit or, you know, if it, for whatever reason, it'll, it'll be within the first two or three if it's not the top one. Nice. Um, so I'll find it and put it in the show notes. Thread. Definitely a link to it. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. So it's called purchasing real estate you've never seen. And it talks about how um, to basically build a team of, people who will uh, be able to facilitate that that transaction essentially um, I I don't know what I'm doing in terms of like if I go into a property I can't say that furnace is bad just by looking at it I don't I don't have that sort of expertise so if I'm purchasing a property next door in Vegas I would need to hire a home inspector to go through and check everything and give me the report and tell me this is what these are the problems. Um, and, and then I need to talk to a contractor and he'll say, okay, here's, here's our estimate to fix it. And I talked to a couple different people, but, but essentially I need to hire experts to do that. So it doesn't really matter if I'm down the street or I'm across the country. Um, if it's a property over in Atlanta, I can have a home inspector go and check it out and email me the report. I can have several contractors go out and take a look at it. And, um, it doesn't really make a difference where I'm sitting when I'm, you know, on the phone with them or, or getting their emails. Right, right. That, no, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. Um, how do you go about finding which markets you want to look into further? Um, I have a number of different criteria based on essentially I I like to describe it as if you picture one of those like bad 90s movies where the, the criminal is like calls up the FBI to taunt them and the FBI is like trace that call and it shows like a giant map of the United States and it like zooms in on a state and then it like zooms in on a on a like city and then it like zooms in on a neighborhood block and they're like he's at the payphone on 24th and 52nd or whatever like that's kind of what I do is I start with like a big geographic area and, and zoom in based on on starting with broad factors like how is the landlord tenant laws in this state how is the um what's the employment look like in the state are they adding jobs or because i mean you want your tenants to be employed to be making good money is this a place that's kind of going downhill or is this um a place where uh that's improving that's on the upswing so i'll look at um demographic reports and and job growth and um that sort of thing, median income. And then I'll look at what the sort of prices in the area are and and get down to, okay, I really like this particular city. Now let me go down to the neighborhood level. Let me talk to different property managers in the area. Let me talk to other real estate investors and find out sort of what are the best areas within that area to um, to invest in. Wow, that's fantastic. And you're, you're all self-taught, right? You guys just sort of trial and error, just took the plunge in 2007 and then just have been learning along the way. Is that, is that the case? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of reading real estate books, lots of, um, attending different real estate meetups and things like that. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, I'd say it's a thing where there's just, there's so much information out there that starting with a couple solid books, um, 
to give you a basic overview and then seeing kind of where you want to go, because there's lots of different areas in real estate. You can, you know, there's flips and there's buy and hold and there's so many different ways to purchase wholesale and auctions and um, tax auctions and just probate. There's so many different things that it, it feels overwhelming at first. And so just starting with like the basics of like, here's a book on how to buy properties for rent. And um, there's, there's a thread on the MMM forums that are, that's just like in the real estate section of the forums, there's a sticky thread right at the top. That's like recommended real estate books that if, if anyone's listening and wants to know like, where do I start? I have a list of books of like, here's what I would recommend you read first. Nice. Cool. Okay. I'll link to that as well in the show notes to the, to the MMM forum. That's, that's perfect. Um, And you guys are mainly single family house buy and hold. Is that right? Yeah, we, we've flipped a couple properties that were bigger. Um, and yeah, but all our, all our rentals are single families. All right. That's cool. Um, is there, is there any standout book for that sort of strategy? Cause it seems like a, a great strategy for people that are wanting financial independence, um, to, to, you know, build a bunch of assets that then just give you a bunch of, uh, monthly income, which would be great. So, yeah, um, the the number one book I recommend is called Building Wealth One House at a Time, uh, and it's it's just very straightforward. Um, it's not it's it's like reading um, Jim Collins' book for for stock market investing, but for real estate. Like it's nice. it's very clear language. It's very like here's exactly what you need to do. It's not overly complex. It, at some point, once you get those basics, you're going to want to move beyond to more advanced concepts. But but that's just kind of the perfect beginner book in my mind. Perfect. Nice. Thanks very much for that. That's great. Um, it, obviously, things are much different now than they were back in 2007. Are you still purchasing properties? Are you still finding some good opportunities in certain certain parts of the country? Or have you slowed down as far as acquisition goes and you're just maintaining the, the cash flow that's now coming in? Um, we've mostly stopped, um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, we retired. And so, um, uh, we also invested our, our portfolio was very real estate heavy. And so now with all our extra cash flow, I'm dumping a lot more into equities index funds and, um, trying to diversify a little to, to basically build up a second it's via uh, stock market investments. Nice, cool. No, that's uh, yeah, probably a great idea. But yeah, uh, there's a good quote. I I forget where I stumbled on it. You had said that real estate is like throwing lighter fluid on your fire plans, which is a good, nice little quote. So that so that's definitely what you attribute. Obviously, the the rapid, you know, going from zero net worth to then right retired. Uh, that it w- it would be hard to do that. I think with just equities alone, you would have to have a a huge savings rate to accomplish that, but you guys just like killed it. Yeah. In so we, we did have, we did have a huge savings rate. I think it was around 75%, but even um, so, but, was- but even so it probably would have taken another few years. Um, it, it definitely, definitely sped up our time to retirement. Um, there's actually, uh, I was on another podcast, um, that hopefully I won't like you steal your readers over to this other podcast, <laughs> um, and listeners, I'd say readers, but, um, if they're interested in this topic, um, I, I've been on the radical personal finance podcast with Joshua sheets a couple of times. And one of them was discussing just the idea of, should I use real estate to get to early retirement or should I invest in stocks and the kind of the pros and cons of each and oh, goes nice. into 
some of the downsides of real estate and then some of the upsides in terms of early retirement because it, it, it has some huge benefits for an early retiree in terms of sequence of returns risk and things like that. Um, but we spent like an hour plus talking about that. And, and we obviously, you and I won't have time to go into that right now. So maybe you can add that in the show notes since anyone who's interested in like, maybe I want to look into real estate for early retirement. I think they'd be interested in listening listening to that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love Joshua's uh, podcast. So more than happy to link over to that. And yeah, that would, that sounds exactly the next logical progression if people are interested to then really dive deep into it. And yeah, you guys yeah. are. And they'll probably, they'll probably hear me repeat a, a few of the things I said here about like zooming in on an area because I use that sort of analogy, but they'll hear two minutes of repeat content and, and quite a bit of, of other stuff. Perfect. Thanks. Uh, yeah, no, that'll be in the show notes as well. So cool. All right. So you just, you hit your number and then you guys retired and then you guys have been doing some really exciting, really exciting stuff ever since you quit your job. So you guys left last year and you started uh, by hiking the El Camino de Santiago. Is that right? Yeah. Well, first of all, we didn't actually hit our numbers. We don't, it's, it's hard to know how much we need when we're going to be traveling and we've never really like lived on the road. So we, uh, and having a baby and we don't know how much that's right. going to cost. So we had like made up numbers and decided that we were going to need to work so many years to hit those made up numbers. And then we retired a year early anyways, because I was kind of overworking <laughs> and <laughs> nice. I wanted to go ahead and do all those things. So nice. Yeah. So there's that. And how's it, how's it been? Have you felt like that was the, the right call or do you, do you wish oh, yeah. you had yeah, stuck it, it up? Cool. That's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's uh, I think a lot of people stick around for a bit too long and then, and put it off for too long when really they think they'd be more than fine if they just took the plunge, even if they don't feel ready for it. So that's great that you did and it worked out great. Yeah. And we, we always figure, you know, you can always do side gigs. Like I, I, I write a little bit, I write romance novels. Right. You uh, just recently Harlow. got published, right? Yeah. My second book is coming out in January. That's so. awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> so that, so that, did that, did all that happen after you quit or was that something you were working on prior to quitting? Um, well, in order for us to retire a year early, Joe and I made a deal that I would start writing and see if I could get published and then be able to go off early to know that we had that. And I did. So that was that's part of awesome. That, that's a great strategy. So that'll, cause I know at least, uh, you know, I've only been, jobless for the last two and a half months, but it's easy to not do the things that you think you're going to do before you quit because, you know, you have all the time in the world. So it's easy to just put things off and, you know, wait a, another day to start something. But that's an excellent strategy to actually take the plunge a year early and force yourself to do some of these things that, you know, in all likelihood will earn money, but are actually challenging. And, you know, you may put off if you if you leave it till after you're fully set. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So, um, so you're yeah. so you're on your second book now, and uh, and that's that's great. So you're still enjoying it as much now that you're actually like it's sort of like a job. <laughs> yeah, it it can be hard to get started writing because you know with Annabelle, our baby, around and everything, you know, you just feel like I don't have time to write. <laughs> I'm I'm doing this thing, or I'm napping, or we're going out and seeing stuff. But then once I get into it, it's fun. Like I giggle to myself as I write because it's romance and it's ridiculous to write. That's awesome. And the next thing is like, we don't need the money. It's, it's just, it's for fun. And, and um, I think that's sort of the best part of making money in early retirement is 
you can do it if it sounds like fun, but otherwise you can just not do that. Yeah. You know, if, if it's like, I don't feel like doing this and it's like, all right, then I just won't do it. I know exactly. Yeah. I just got an email from somebody who wanted me to advertise on Mad Scientist or something. And he had laid out how many thousands of dollars I could be earning every month. Cause I said, I said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll arrange a call with him just to hear what his company's all about. But, but when I get back in January, uh, but he's like, but look, you could, if you don't do it, if we don't talk now, then you're missing out on all these thousands of dollars, all these months that you're not talking to me. <laughs> and I'm just thinking like, okay. I, I, yeah, that's fine. I do not need those thousands of dollars. And, you know, I'm probably not going to be too interested anyway. So it's like, well, I'm not going to take a time out of my time here in Mexico just to chat on the phone, some sales pitch. So, so yeah, I, agree. I completely agree. It's a completely I, I, different mindset. I think that, yeah, that, that last word you said mindset is such the key because I'm sure there are people listening to this, um, maybe less than the average population, but people who just don't understand the concept of like, what, why would you turn it down? It's, it's still money that you can earn with very little work. And it's, the point is there's still a little bit of work and I don't need it. And that concept of enough is just such a big thing to realize like, more money is not going to make me happier, but the extra amount of work will take away from the time that I have with my wife or kids or doing this thing that I actually really want to do. So it, it's more money, yes, but it, it still has a cost. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. And it, it's actually still something I struggle with. Like, like I, like for instance, I'm, I'm currently redesigning Mad Fintist a bit. And with the redesign, I'm going to take away all the ads because I never liked them. It, it doesn't, like I, I don't know what they are half the time. They could be advertising something that I don't believe in, and it just they they make the site look stupid and terrible. So I'm planning on taking them away, but still, just turning off this like income source, and it's not that much. It's a few hundred bucks a month, but it's like, yeah, it's still a tough decision because you know our whole lives have been spent like building up to this moment and focusing on money so much that it is hard to just flick that switch, but. Uh, it's definitely something I'm getting better at, and I think it takes practice to to get to that point. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll jump back into you guys and see what you've been up to since you since you both quit, because it's it's definitely been a lot of exciting stuff. So can you just uh, yeah talk about quitting and then uh, and what you've been up to since? All right. So we uh, we retired in June of 2015. We did summer school, and then we had to like pack up everything basically sell off everything, toss it to goodwill, donate it, yeah. whatever, uh, empty out our 400 square foot apartment and leave Vegas, you know, did all that. So we got all our stuff down to just one backpack each. And then we have a box of like mementos, um, like our wedding, our wedding album and that sort of stuff um, in our parents' garage. That's all. And yeah, yeah if, if, if anyone out there hasn't done something like that, that's like the best way to never want to buy anything ever again. I don't know about you guys, but yeah. It's such a traumatic, stressful, awful experience trying to get down to like yeah, two boxes that you never want to accumulate anything again. Is that how it was for you guys? It just it felt so good every time I like handed stuff to the people to the people at Goodwill and just be like, <laughs> I never have to look at that again. It's no longer on my plate. Like it's over. Yeah, just so just freeing to be like, I I don't own things. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Oh, it's yeah. so they you were get- like. Oh, sorry, go ahead. There were a couple of things that, like, getting rid of it was, like, a little sad at the moment, like our Christmas tree that we bought when we were uh, We had 19. a little fake three-foot <laughs> Christmas tree that we, like, put up every year and stuff. 
Yeah, and that was like a kind of a bummer to finally get rid of that. But then once it's gone, you're like, hey, now I don't have that sitting under our bed forever. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah, I just took pictures of everything that I was sort of like sentimental about, but there's no way I wanted to keep for the rest of my life, and that seemed to that seemed to work out well because then I could still look at it and think of it if I need to, but I don't have a yeah a big Christmas tree somewhere. So exactly, yeah, we did the same thing. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, we got rid of everything except for that one little tub and our two backpacks and then we headed out to um spain basically we started in southern france and we did the camino which is a 500 mile walk across the top of spain wow <laughs> how was that yeah. and 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 ali was in her second trimester of pregnancy by the way at this point there's yeah. <laughs> no way that's crazy so how, how did it go um it was hard like it's <laughs> It's walking, and yeah, it's walking a really far way, but you're like, I walk. Like, we're fairly active people. We're pretty young, and so we thought it wasn't going to be, like, that hard. <laughs> and then we got there, and the first day you climb over, like, a mountain, you know, and you you have to do that in order to get to, like, the one place where you can stop for the night. And it was it was so hard. Like, I just did not see it coming. Um <laughs> Did you get used to yeah. it or was it just hard day after day and you didn't really get into a rhythm? The first week in particular for me was really tough just trying to get used to it and the like waking up early and packing up your like little backpack of stuff and then walking to the next place and then like having to unpack your stuff and like wash your clothes in a sink and hang them up to dry and like try to find some place to eat. I was it, it was it was a lot harder than I thought, but Joe was like super gung ho, and he was like, "No, this is great!" I'm, uh, <laughs> and so I like I I got with the program. I managed to pull it off. He was like, "If you really don't want to do it, you know, you don't, you don't have to." <laughs> but but you finished it, and you're glad you did. Yeah, I really, I'm like, now every once in a while, I'm like, hey, I did that. You know, when you get to the end, you get this like piece of paper that is written in the original Latin from the pilgrimage that people have been doing for the past thousand years, basically from the Catholic Church, oh, like wow. saying that you did this. Yeah, and I have that. And nice. that's pretty cool. Nice. And you won't be giving that away to Goodwill anytime soon. No, no, that's an, <laughs> that's an thing. Yeah. That's I awesome. think the most interesting part part about it for me is your so your body adjusts after about a week and it's no big deal physically. I did about twenty days in get some really bad shin splints that I just had to walk through, but but other than that, like your body does adjust and it's fine. Um, but the hardest part, sort of after that period, turns out to be like the mental difficulty of the idea that. I have 20 more days of getting up and walking for most of the day with my bag on my back and then sort of, you know, getting a meal and settling in and getting up and doing it again the next day and the next day. And I'm going to keep doing this when I could hop on a bus <laughs> and be there in about four hours. And so it's, it's you know, th there's always those sort of cliche quotes about how it's about the journey, not the destination. But with this sort of thing, like it really, it has to be because if it's about the destination, you would just hop on a bus and, and, and go there and you'd be there in the final city uh, of Santiago. And it's, I mean, we have the money to take a bus ride. And we have the ability. There's, there's nothing stopping us from just hopping on being there tonight. Right. And instead it's going to take us 20 more days of walking. Like, why are we going, through, like, why are we putting ourselves through this? And so 
it goes past a physical thing where it's not really physically challenging anymore, but it's mentally challenging. Is this like, am I just going to keep doing this for really no real purpose other than the challenge of it, other than the journey? And so that, that to me was kind of interesting about it. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so you're definitely excited about doing it and you're happy you've done it as well. Joe. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and just having completed it, I'm, I've always been sort of lazy and self-indulgent and, I was one of sort of my worries going into early retirement was like, well, am I going to sit around all day? Am I not going to get much done because I, because I can. And so that to me was kind of a cool challenge to kick off our retirement because it was like, I want to force myself to do something difficult so that I know I can. It sounds a little silly, but that was, that was my thinking. That's great. And ever since then, you've just been on the road as well. So you've, uh, can you talk a little bit about where else you've traveled since then? Sure. We, uh, we went to Portugal after that. And then we went to Germany. Uh, we went to Great Britain and stayed in London for a little bit. We went to Marrakesh, Morocco, spent about a month in Croatia. And then we went over to Istanbul and were there for three months. Yeah. So that's where we had Annabelle. Um, but we had been mostly to Western Europe before, um, on a, a backpacking trip we did one summer. One summer we didn't teach summer school and we, we backpacked through Europe for about two months. Um, and, um, and so we'd been to most of Western Europe. So we wanted to hit a lot more of Eastern Europe. So we saw Croatia and, and Turkey and, um, that sort of thing. And then post Annabelle, we went up and we did Prague and we did Krakow and uh, Athens. And Athens. Yeah. Oh, very cool. And how, how was it having Annabelle in Turkey? And why Turkey? Oh, we knew we were going to be in the in Europe area because of the Camino. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to try to figure out if there was a location nearby that had good health care without being too expensive and that we could stay for a few months because a lot of places you can only stay for one month. Or if you're in most of the European countries, you can only be in them three months all together for all the countries. The whole Schengen area. Yeah. 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 So that narrowed down our possible areas a lot. And then we just at some point hit on Istanbul as being a good idea. And we were able to email around and find a hospital with a doctor that spoke English, which was useful. The doctor was the only one who spoke English. So <laughs> that made it a little difficult at times when we actually, when Ali started going into labor and, uh, we texted, it was like 1130 at night and I texted the doctor like on WhatsApp and, and was like, Hey, she's feeling these and you know, weird contraction things. And, um, and so the doctor was like, yeah, go over to the hospital and, and the nurse will, will check her out and will let me know if it, you know, what's going on. And so we go over there and the nurse doesn't speak English or whatever. And, um, it's but like she mime. checks it out. And, yeah. We have to kind of mind what we need and, and, uh, she checks Allie out and calls the doctor and, and hands the phone over to Allie. And the doctor's like, yeah, you're going into labor. Like they're going to admit you and, and I'll be, I'll, I'll be over there in a bit. So I'd like ask a question and then she'd have to like hand the phone over to the nurse <laughs> and the nurse, you know, and so we were basically translating through our doctor on the phone. And- so we did that and we got admitted and we go up into like the little room they give us to wait until, you know, we need to go into the delivery room. 
And then some people come and, and are motioning for me to come and I don't know what's going on. I'm like, all right. So I, so I go with them and they take me down. And of course, when you check into a hospital, you need to like fill out paperwork, sign in and everything only. So they hand me a stack of about 20 or 30 pages of stuff, but it's all in Turkish. I don't, I don't speak any Turkish and, and they don't speak any English. And so I'm, and so they're just like pointing and I'm just, I'm like, all right, whatever. Like I assume this is all normal and and so I'm just like signing and initialing. Like I, I have no idea what it says. I'm just like signing away my firstborn and whatever. <laughs> like you know, and and uh, and yeah. It was, so that was quite the experience trying to trying to get all that done. And meanwhile, Ali's going into like a super fast labor. So I get up there you know, 30 minutes later, and it's already like, well, it's time. Like we we're going. And yeah, it was it was a fun experience. I'll do like how many centimeters tall I am, and I'm like I have. I, we we no don't speak idea. metric. We don't speak Turkish, and so they mime how tall, and we don't speak metric, and so it's like. So after all of our paperwork, there is just yeah. completely a mess. That's crazy. So, but it, it all worked out, you know. Like people worry about when we first sort of mentioned, "Hey, we're going to be having a baby in Istanbul." You know, some friends and family and stuff. They're they're like, "Oh, you know, a little worried." And and our our opinion is like, people have babies all over the world all the time. This isn't like a new thing. So right. we're not too worried about it. It'll all work out. Yeah. And I mean, my, my mom had uh, gotten to Istanbul the day before. And so she was back at our apartment, had like been there for less than 24 hours. Joe texts her that we're, that I'm going into labor. So my mom has to like go out in the rain at midnight, trying to find a taxi <laughs> in a country where she speaks like she couldn't even lock the door because she doesn't know how to do that oh, wow. she just like walks out with like a 20 dollar 20 us dollar bill and is just like here's the name of the hospital on her phone and just like please get me there and <laughs> it all worked out fine like, yeah you get fun adventures like that when you're willing to go overseas and just just try things oh that's amazing that's yeah that's a it's a great lesson i think a lot of people especially in the states are just so scared of doing anything let alone yeah having a baby in istanbul so um did you guys pay cash or how did that work out yeah uh we yeah we just i mean we use a credit card but it's essentially cash yeah. um and thing it was like four grand once everything yeah in. It, it was around four grand for basically the birth, the two days in the hospital, the um, and then all the checkups Brilliant. before and after, those wow. checkups yeah. and everything. Um, we calculated it seemed like it was going to cost for us as teachers with our healthcare. Um, it, it seemed like it was going to cost about five grand, but to have the baby in the states between our deductibles and twenty percent copay and all this stuff, it was going to cost us about five grand to have the baby in the states or. Yeah, with with good health insurance, or we could go overseas and pay the whole thing ourselves for four grand. It was like, well, that's silly. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I uh, interviewed Mike and Lauren, and uh, they had a baby down in Costa Rica, and I think it was pretty similar, around four grand for the whole thing. And they said it was just such a nice experience. And uh, I think yeah. the baby has Costa Rican citizenship, and is that the same with Annabelle? Or does she have Turkish citizenship, or how how does that work? No, so. North and South America does that a lot, does the citizenship at birth. But so Canada, places, U.S., Mexico, most of South America, right. but pretty much everywhere else in the world got rid of that. Um, I think the only other place actually is Cambodia. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, nowhere else in Asia or Europe does does that anymore. They used to, I think 10, 12 years ago, they, they sort of got rid of that citizenship by birth idea. Right. Okay. Cool. So she um, doesn't get anything from it. She just gets to say that her birthplace is Istanbul, which but. is pretty cool. 
that's a, yeah. that's a really good story <laughs> when she gets older. Um, that's cool. So, so where, what's the plans from here on out? So you're in Cambodia now and I know you guys are heading to Thailand next. Uh, do you have any, Yeah, we're going to Thailand. We, there's a, a paper lantern festival. I don't know if you ever saw the movie tangled. <laughs> No, uh, no, but I know but the Lantern Festival that you're you talking about. You should. It's good. <laughs> what do you, do you not watch Disney movies anymore just because you're an adult? <laughs> I, I don't. I, yeah. I'll, I'll have to take a, I'll, I'll take a uh, look at it. I'll put it on my to-do list. Well, I mean, it's it's not amazing if you don't watch <laughs> Disney movies. That shouldn't be the one that you watch. But but you should just watch them all because they're still really good. Anyway, um, so there's there's this paper lantern festival. Basically, they light up all these like – uh, lanterns made of paper but they have these little candles in them and the hot air like makes them float in the air kind of fly up and uh, so they just launch like thousands of these and it looks really pretty and and that happens it's this you know big religious ceremony um here in november um so we're going we're going to chiang mai for the whole month of november and we're going to see that um and then we're uh luckily we have parents who are supportive and want to come visit us so they're coming uh, at Christmas, we're going to Bali, Indonesia to hang out with them. Um, and then after that, we don't really know. We sort of uh, kind of plan, you know, month by month and see see what we want to do. We're thinking eventually we'll probably get an RV and, and um, tour around Canada and Mexico. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're kind of staying out of the States for now just because it's so much more expensive to live there with the with the healthcare. And then not being able to exclude any income, um, it would probably cost us around ten grand more in taxes and health insurance to live in the states. So yeah. when you're only spending twenty or thirty grand, it's kind of for for no discernible benefit to be like, now I'm just paying extra, even even if everything else, food and housing and everything else costs the same, uh, you we're suddenly spending ten extra thousand right. for no real benefit. Is it's kind of hard to. Hard to do for now, but we'll probably eventually bite the bullet and, and head back for a while. So you're doing foreign during income exclusion, I presume? Yeah, just on, on all the extra side gig stuff, yeah. at, at least writing and stuff like that. Nice. Um, and then for insurance, you're just doing travel insurance? Yeah, so we have an international health care plan that costs about 1000 for the year um, for the three of us. And it's <laughs> mostly for catastrophic stuff. We haven't actually used it but it's kind of there is more of a feel good safety net. Um, but we just pay everything out of pocket. It's real cheap. And, but it would cost us because, so one of the downsides of real estate is it's, we don't have awesome tax uh, in early retirement, the way a lot of early retirees do who can just use, you know, 0% dividends and capital gains when they're in the 15% bracket or less. Mm-hmm. Um, our real estate's all, unearned income tax at a normal rate. And so we're not, we don't qualify for any affordable care act subsidies or anything. So, um, it, it'll cost us about six grand for, uh, for insurance in the, in the States versus a thousand for overseas. And then, and then around five or 6,000 in taxes, extra taxes we'd have to pay. So, um, yeah, no, it's yep. the same situation I'm in. That's why I was just in the states for FinCon, but then I hurried, had to hurry up and get out because I needed <laughs> to do the to get the physical presence test and be out of the country yeah. for 330 days. So I, I feel your pain on that one. But uh, and we'd want to be traveling anyway. I think our ideal time would probably be traveling inter- internationally nine or ten months a year and being back home two to three months. 
And instead, we have to limit it back to being in the States for only a month. So it's, yeah, yeah it's not it's not a huge deal for us, but it is it is kind of a bummer when it's like, all right, go see Ali's family for two weeks, rush up, go see my family for two weeks. All right, we're out. Yeah. Like, come with us. So um, eventually, we'll just... We'll bite the bullet. We'll pay. We'll pay the extra money and and go spend a lot more time, probably you know touring around the U.S. in an RV or something. But for now, it's we're we're enjoying. There's too many other places in the world we want to see now to to want to just limit ourselves there. Yeah. Have you guys got tired of traveling at all? I know it's it, it is a tiring thing to you know always be somewhere else, and uh, it sounds like you're you know spending big chunks of time places, which definitely helps. But as a uh, has it been different than you expected it to be? At times, for the most part, it's been just awesome. Like walking around Prague was probably like one of the happiest months I've had in my life, you know, mm-hmm. just getting to see all the beautiful architecture and everything and just thinking like, I never want to stop traveling. This is amazing. <laughs> and then uh, we were in Kuala Lumpur last month. And our, like, house setup, our Airbnb wasn't great. So, like, cooking was kind of hard and we weren't near any big supermarkets. So, it's, like, trying to get the food that I want to cook is kind of hard and everything just gets a little difficult and it's, like, really hot outside. And so, like, after a few weeks of that, I was like, okay, I'm getting a little stir crazy. (laughs) Like, I need to get someplace else where I can can move around a little bit more and I feel a little... uh, it feels a little easier, you know, but yeah, for the most part, yeah, our travels have just, have been really amazing. That's good to hear. And and, in early retirement in general, is it everything that you hoped it would be? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Just not, not having to work. Like we both loved our jobs. We both enjoy teaching, but not teaching is just way better. Not, to do anything is just amazing that's so good yeah there's it's i i really liked teaching and we actually talked about maybe going back in fact ali just mentioned two or three days ago that she might want to teach again here maybe not maybe next year maybe the year after but um it's it's teaching just is such a fulfilling job but also we taught for eight years and to me eight years is long enough to do anything like even even if you love teaching which we did we also love travel and we also love being home with our kid all day and we also and so there's all these different things that that it's like well yeah we really enjoyed that but we also want to go try other things too so um early retirement just or financial independence in general just that ability to be like yeah now i want to focus my life on this aspect um is is incredible that's awesome well i I usually end all my interviews with the question like if you had one piece of advice for somebody who wants to pursue financial independence, uh, what would it be? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, and I, and I knew you were going to ask this because I've listened to your other podcast. And the, the funny thing is like every time at the end, when you ask the person that I always think of something I want to say, like I always think of this is what my response would be to that question. But like every time it's different, like, you know, cause it's, it's, uh, it's been a month or whatever since I listened to your last one. And then I listen and then I'm like, Oh, I would say this. And then, you know, by a month later, my answer is like, Oh, but this is a really good tip or whatever. And I'm sure some of your, your listeners are like, yeah, I, I bet, I bet there's other people who do that same thing who, cause there's so many different good tips and, and your, your, uh, podcast guests have had a, a bunch of really good tips. Um, but the one that in my mind right now, yeah. um, 
is is a quote by John Stuart Mill, um, and and I'm not gonna uh, nail the quote exactly. I don't have it word for word, but uh, so I'm roughly paraphrasing. But it's essentially he said something like, um, "I have learned to seek my happiness by limiting my desires rather than in attempting to fulfill them." Right. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And so basically, yeah, he says like instead of trying to be happy by getting all this stuff, I want to be happy just like having what I have and limiting my desires. This is simplicity and that sort of thing. And for me, financial independence was really easy to, to get because we were happy just living in our fairly small place and eating at home and just being efficient with how we spent money. And so our high savings rate was just because we enjoyed simplicity and we didn't have to cut our budget and um, we didn't have to like deprive ourselves. And if you can kind of cultivate that mindset of like, I'm just going to limit my desires rather than try and satisfy myself with all this different stuff. I think that really helps you become financially independent because one, you don't need to spend as much money while you're earning um, and you can save a bunch. And then two, you don't need as much when you're retired. So many people would always say things about like how we sacrifice so much to to get to this point. We're constantly sacrificing. But there was no point in our lives in Las Vegas that we felt like it was a sacrifice to like live in a small apartment to only have one car. We cultivated um, a a concept of gratitude about everything. And once you're grateful for everything you have to try to get more seems kind of silly, you know, when you're grateful that you have this one car that, you know, we got that I got when I was 16, just being so excited about that fact that I had this car. It's like, we don't need to get a brand new car or that we have this place to live, or we have these places that we can spend time together. We don't need all that other extra on top of it that costs money. That is, yeah, that's a huge, huge point. Um, and yeah, that's something I've been thinking a lot about over the last few weeks, just because I, I have a buddy back in Scotland and he is like the complete opposite with money, but he's really interested uh-huh. in like what I've done and you know, the whole, he's, he's, he's the guy that designed my logo. So he, he's worked with me on Mad Fiantist stuff and things like that. He's a really good designer and things like that. And, but he, it's just so hard to get across because every time he sees us, he thinks we're depriving ourselves and we're like just doing it just because we're cheap or we're frugal and we're just miserable, miserable because of it. And it's like, I was trying to think of a good way to explain to him that it's like, it's not that at all. It's that, yeah, limiting ourselves actually makes us happier. And when we do experience something that we only do so often, it's so much more enjoyable than if we did it all the time. Yeah. yeah. We both have high earners and high spenders in our families. And so, yeah, they see us and they're like, what are you doing? I need the space. I need the thing. I need the stuff. I need the uh, expensive restaurants. And yeah, we just, we just say we're just happy with our, you know, with what we have and each other. And we just constantly are amazed at the world. So it seems silly to like, spend all this money to try to make things better when we, you know, can walk around together and just be like, Oh my God, it's a beautiful evening. I'm so, we're so lucky to get to walk around outside and have a sunset. Like we don't need to go spend money at a restaurant and a movie when you've got each other and that clouds, you know? Yeah. Nice. No, that's excellent. <laughs> so, so Allie, that's your, that's your tip as well. You would, you would uh, agree with you on that one. Oh yeah. Definitely about being grateful for what you have and just, understanding enough 
and just being and just cultivating that in your life. Amazing. Awesome. awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. If people want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way? Obviously, they can reach you on the forums, but you also have a, a blog, adventuringalong.com, that people can maybe get in touch through, or what's what's the best? Yeah, sort of. We People kept telling us, like, oh, you know, we want to follow along with your adventures and your travels. Like, you should set up a blog. And so we finally reluctantly did. <laughs> um, it doesn't really have much content, and I don't know when or if that will change um because blogging feels like something we should do but then it's also one of those things it's like you need to get motivated to write these posts and and there's all this other stuff that we're doing too so um yeah go you can go check it out adventuringalong.com and um we'll uh sign up for the mailing list if you're interested in following along so if we ever update it we'll we'll send out an email saying yeah you can come check out um stuff but but really yeah uh you can and you can email us through there. That's that's probably if you actually want to get in touch, emailing emailing me is is a good way. Or yeah, going on the MMM forums, I'm on there all the time. Um, and yeah, uh, feel free to reach out. We love I love chatting about financial independence and um, real estate, teaching any of those sort of things. Um, definitely spend a lot of time talking about uh, talking about that online. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'm excited to check out the Radical Personal Finance podcast as well with with you. I, I don't tend to listen to any other interviews before I do an interview because I don't want it to influence my questions at all. But um, it sounds like a definitely a great carry on from this, especially if you're oh. interested in real estate for for FI. So definitely cool, guys. Well, have a great time in CM Reap. Uh, such a fantastic place, and uh, I really appreciate you taking a whole hour out of your uh, exciting day to, to chat with me. Um, it's been great, so I really appreciate it and look forward to hopefully seeing you guys at Camp Mustache next year at least and maybe not, maybe before, oh, yeah. hopefully somewhere in Southeast Asia or something. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks for uh, having us on. Good All talking right. to you, Brandon. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye, Ed.